Welcome to Eternal Leadership. I'm Steve Ryder. At the top here, I've been naming off a few people that have given us reviews on iTunes. But there's one that really touched John and myself recently. Small business gal wrote, Wow, I'm so thankful for this podcast. I randomly stumbled upon it in the new and noteworthy, but I believe it's not a chance. It's 1 a.m., but I cannot put my phone down. Each podcast is so well done, so well put together. The questions are so good and go really deep. I'm currently searching for God's guidance in my business, and this is so timely. I'm so thankful to you, John and Steve, that you answered his calling and took action. I'm so thankful I could cry. Thank you so much. May God bless you, your families, your businesses, and this amazing podcast. Thanks, Small Business Gal, for giving us such a moving review on iTunes. This is why John and I are doing this, and we're so glad to have made such an impact on you. In church, we talk about mostly love and relationship, and we, we don't really talk about things that impact people in their business day or their Monday. And as a result, mm -hmm. we take the view that Monday and uh, Sunday, or those two areas of our lives, are completely different compartments with completely different objectives. And they're not. And because He is God of all, Everything has the same objective in life. And then instead of asking the question, which I always get from Christians, is how do I balance my life? The question is, how do I prioritize my life? That was CEO and author Ken Eldred. And on today's episode of Eternal Leadership, John Ramstead and myself chatted with Ken about his book, The Integrated Life. And something that still just blows me away, how Ken built a company with annual sales of $400 million in about 20 years, only working 40 hours per week. That's crazy. Here's how John got that conversation started. Ken, we are so excited to have you here on the Eternal Leadership Podcast today. I heard you speak uh, recently here in Denver at the Colorado Christian Business Alliance at the conference. And your entire topic was something uh, that I've been thinking about and working on both in my life and all the clients that I work with uh, as an executive coach, and that is really how to, we have these dual lives of our, of our faith in church and ministry and work in business, and it seems like, you know, these two are very, these very separate compartments, and I, you know, the culture that we're in right now, Ken, I think it, it to me, it seems that it's more difficult than ever uh, for people to even align their faith with their work. Uh, and I'd love, and you shared uh, powerfully about this whole topic, and I'd love to start with just your, your, your thoughts on really, you know, the problem and the issue that a lot of Christian leaders have out there in the marketplace. Sure, John. I, it, this whole area of compartmentalization is a serious problem that confronts Christians every day. And they're not encouraged in the church to break this back apart, uh, because in church we talk about mostly love and relationship, and we, we don't really talk about things that impact people in their business day or their Monday. And as a result, mm -hmm. we take the view that Monday and uh, Sunday, or those two areas of our lives, are completely different compartments with completely different objectives. And they're not. That's really the, the, the point that need, people need to understand. And because he is God of all, Everything has the same objective in life, and these are concepts that are really hard to kind of come around to understand. Uh, people think, for example, that uh, 
they don't think that way, that, you know, Christians that go to work and are business folks think that, well, no, I really am concerned about God. But on the other hand, uh, if you ask a question like, are you in full-time ministry, who, you know, who are the people that are in full-time ministry? The answer is, well, somebody in a church or a paraministry. And indeed, that's compartmentalized thinking. Really, everybody's in full-time ministry that's a Christian. You know, it's an interesting point because I have never heard the term full-time ministry applied with somebody who is in business. Right, because people think that the objective of business is different than the business or objective of church. And what I would encourage people to you know, get a hold of my book if they don't, if don't agree with it, at least read it and you know, come to this uh, conclusion on their own. But I would tell you that uh, the role of the church, you know, and I go through this in detail, but the role of the church basically is to serve others to the glory of God. And then I go through business and I talk about profit and profit maximization and why, you know, why these are really not the goals of business. They never have been, I, except until 1968 uh, when two professors said that, was, that profit maximization was the goal of business. Uh, only professors can come up with these kind of things because it's impossible <laughs> right. to maximize profit. But I go through this and I point out that profits are like breathing. I mean, you have to have it. Uh, but really the goal of business is to serve others to the glory of God. Uh, and when people realize that the goal of every area of their life is the same, then instead of asking the question which I always get from Christians is how do I balance my life, the question is how do I prioritize my life. So when people ask that question of balance, that, that comes up a lot. Where, where, do you, where do you see that coming from? Well, it comes from the idea that I have so many hours I've got to spend in business and the demands there are very different than what I have at home, which are very different from what I have at church. So when I was a young business guy just trying to figure out what life was all about and early in my Christian walk, I'd, I'd, uh, I was at a retreat and this one pastor brought up a point. He said, you know, if you're in First Timothy 5.8, if you fail to take care of your family, you're worse than the heathen. I thought, wow, that sounds like a priority. I wonder if there are other priorities that God has put into place. And clearly, then I came across chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 33, which says, seek ye first the kingdom of God in all these things. And it was meaning everything. If you go back and you look at it, it's clothing and food and requirements of life. All these things will be added unto you. I thought, wow, that's interesting. That's a promise. That's an interesting promise. It's not a, simply a requirement. But that sounds like the first priority. And I began to put down priorities in my life and said, well, God, it has to be number one. My family's number two, obviously, from what I've learned in the scripture. And God's got to be number three. So how do we, how do, we do those things? Uh, and as I started a company back in the, you know, years ago, uh, I sat down and I said, well, Lord, if those are my priorities and I have a system about how I got to that point. I said, that means I can only work so many hours a week. And I'm trying to start a business. I don't have any money. I said, you're going to have to take over, Lord, when I'm gone. Uh, you know, but I followed methodically uh, this process. I wanted a better relationship with God. I wanted a better relationship with my wife. I wanted a better relationship with my children. And I wanted to build this business. Well, the story ended where I was proclaimed in Silicon Valley the Entrepreneur of the Year. 
built a business on roughly 40 hours a week with no money. You know, I didn't do it. God did it. Uh, you know, I was just being responsible and responsive to his list of priorities. Ken, I, I think that's a point that really needs to be hit home is that you started this company in Mac working only 40 hours a week and you had to make some significant sacrifices. You had venture capitalists that, that looked at you and scoffed and said, there's no way you're going to be able to build a business and there's no way we're going to put out money to invest in you if you're only working 40 hours a week. But in Mac, when you sold it was a 400 million in sales annually. That's that's a pretty significant company. Absolutely, and we had very little to, money to do it on. That's the most amazing thing. And when I went to the venture world, and here's where Christians sort of come a cropper. They, they, you know, they go to the venture world like I did. You know, I really, really need the money. I don't know how we ever possibly build something without their money. But I felt that I knew what they wanted. I knew they wanted people that were committed to 80 hours plus a week. And I knew that wasn't what I could do. So I said, you know, I have to be honest with you. They really liked the idea. They liked the business plan. They liked the market. They, everything about it they liked. Except I said, I have to tell you, I'm not going to be working eight hours a week. I'd, you know, these guys would be on my board. They'd be saying, where are you? Why aren't you running this company? You're a real problem. We're going to get rid of you. You know, I said, I, I, and you know, even if they didn't do that, they needed to know where, the, where I was and what my position yeah. was. Well, I was a real witness to these people. Uh, and what was the price? The price was they said, I'm sorry, we're not going to fund you. Well, you know, we had to find ways of making this company happen without them. And thank God we did because we ended up with more of the company than we would have if the venture guys had been there and probably a very different business because they wouldn't have agreed with a lot of the things that we did as Christians. So, Ken, something that... Well, it's just reminding me of my, my life as, you know, in startup companies. And I, there were times I literally worked 80, 90 hours a week. I, I didn't even know my family. There were, those were times that I, at this point, sincerely regret. Now, you got your MBA from Stanford. You were entrepreneur of the year in Silicon Valley. And that was a result of you taking your priorities and your principles and, and integrate, integrating them into NMAC. Uh, I would love for you to share... Um, what are the business principles that you walked into InMac with to sew into that company and its culture and how you did work? Uh, because I'm sure that they were very contrary to what other companies and the culture was at the time where you were there in, in, uh, in the Valley. Well, we try, I tried a lot of different things as I was learning what God was trying to show me how to do. And I, you know, one of those things I brought into the company was a Bible study, which I led. You know, talk about a mistake. That was a big one because people would come, and what I realized is they weren't really interested in the Bible. They were staying close to me, and there was a huge mm. friction that took place inside the company because people at, you know, that were you know working in, you know, uh, warehousing would be in this Bible study, and people that were senior managers would be in the Bible study, and this was a this created a lot of conflict. So I thought, well. What I'm going to do, I invited somebody to take it over and I would leave. And if it was something that God was doing and it was something that, you know, they really were committed to, they'd still come. Well, within about a matter of weeks, it was over. People were gone. I realized that's not what I'm supposed to do here. What I'm supposed to do here is witness the truth. 
and be that kind of a witness. So the question was, Lord, if there's anything uh, that we're not doing right before you, please show me so that I can fix it uh, and uh, and serve you. Now we had tracks in the lobby, and uh, you know, I, you know, I put with it a letter saying this isn't what everybody believes, but it's what I believe, and this is what it means to you, whether you're a potential employee or a potential vendor. You know, we will respect you as an individual. We will consider you your you as very worthy and worthwhile, and we will be honest with you. We will treat you fairly. You know, these were the the, the key points around that that letter. You know, and people received it and accepted it. Uh, we we would, I mean, in Silicon Valley, we had a sadly enough a, a couple people die that you know they from different reasons that worked for us. And I had services at the at the office. I brought everybody together, and you know, just like a pastor. I mean, brought up the scripture. We prayed. I, I gave a Bible study. I talked about these people that you know how important they were to us. You know, and Silicon Valley was yeah at that point. I mean, you don't talk about the kind of thing. You don't bring faith to work. You don't. Yeah, you know, but nobody ever complained. You know, they, there was a sense of knowing that. This wasn't just something that was going on. It was something that was deeply within me, and then they respected it. You, you know, know, Ken, I, I think, you know, today there, there's a fear from, you know, either human resources or, or being sued or public opinion. How, how do you address that with people that want to do what you're just talking about, but uh, they're intimidated by the culture that we're in right now? Well, I think the, the point that people make is, number one, we're – we, we see the opportunities, and when those opportunities come, we share what we believe. You know, we have a right to our faith. We don't have a right to make, take people's time away from their work in their faith. I had an employee who would go around and uh, talk about the Lord all day, and people would avoid her because they had work to do, and they, they, they would come to me and they'd say, look, you've got to do something about this. And she would arrive exactly on time in the morning. She'd leave exactly on time in the evening. I mean, she was not a great witness. Uh, a great witness is somebody that works really hard, somebody that's, that is willing to help others. And when they ask the question, why are you doing this? I say, well, because of my faith. Well, what do you mean because of your faith? Now you have the right to share with people. But, you know, it's interesting, you know, some of the, thoughts that used to go through my head as I was in business. Is God really interested in the work that I'm, you know, that I'm doing today, that I'm doing here at this company, my profit motive? And what you're talking to is, or about is really this biblical paradigm of principles that you're bringing into work. And uh, I, haven't, I haven't really thought of it that way before. Yes, and, and always remembering what the priority is. So I had a I had a young lady come into me, and uh, she was actually working for one of my vice presidents. He was—he uh, had to leave on an emergency, and uh, he said, "Would you please talk to this young lady for me? She's upset about what well, I forgot what the problem was." I said, "No, I'll be happy to talk to her." So she comes into my office, and you know, stop the day. Comes into my office, and she starts complaining about something, and this well. You know, I think we can fix that. You know, and uh, she began to. She she wasn't satisfied. There seemed to be something else. I said, "What's what's going on with you?" And she said, uh, 
it says tracks in the lobby. And I said, you mean the spiritual tracks? She said, yes. And I said, well, uh, what's the issue? She said, well, I, you know, I don't like them. You know, I, 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 I can't say. I take them away. And I said, well, you know, when you came, because I remember when you arrived here, they were in the lobby then. Didn't you see them then? She says, well, yeah, I did. Well, you know, it's part of what I believe, and it's a prerogative I have. I'm going to have them in the lobby. And there's a letter there saying that this is not, my, not necessarily your view, but it is mine. Uh, and uh, you, you will not be treated inappropriately if you don't have the same view I do. Have I, we ever treated you badly? No. Have you ever been, felt like you were a second-class citizen because you're under Christian? No, not at all. So, so what's the problem? She says, I can't stand it anymore. I need to know how to receive Christ. And right there, we both got on our knees in my office, and she prayed to receive Christ. You know, it's, and that hour that I spent with her was right in the middle of a busy day where I had lots of other things to do, but God is priority. And somehow, he met up the entire day for me. So it wasn't a matter of, it was a matter of the priorities, keeping with the priorities. We need to, we need to keep those things in mind. What are the priorities? I, you know, I would go home, you know, one of my, a couple of my children wanted to be in baseball. And uh, they said, if they want to be in baseball, playing baseball is uh, t-ball and so forth, you're going to have to be the coach. Well, that wasn't anything I did, but I said, okay, I'll figure out a way to do that. And, you know, because this is what they wanted, this is what they needed, it was right for them. Well, we did that. I figured out how to do that and, you know, was able to provide and God made up the time for me somehow. So, I mean, and the question that also comes up at this point, uh, John, is that uh, the people say, well, yeah, you were working 40 hours a week, but what about the rest of the people? You know, you were laying it off on them. I said, yeah, I was laying it off on them, but my view was, you know, and I had this conversation. My VPs had a tough time with it, but I would stand in front of, you know, monthly meetings when we'd have people together and say, if you're working more than 40 hours or so a week, you know, I really need you to stop and think about what you're doing. You know, because if you're not able to accomplish your work in 40 hours, there's one of two things. Number one, you're not working on the right things. Or number two, you've got too much to do, and we need to figure out who to, who to give it to so that the work, you know, you can get the work done in time. So there's, uh, and all, all of this is around trying to get everybody to the same point. Uh, people would ask me, why do you want to get them down to 40 hours, even though they're not in your set of priorities? Because if they're working that many hours, the first thing that happens is the relationship with a spouse gets strained. And about the time you've had these people working for you for 60 hours a week for three years or, or more time, the, the, this husband and wife get estranged, they get divorced. And now that person's not worth 30 hours a week. Yeah, and when you when you sort of lay it all out over a long period of time that people work for you, you're really better off if they work a little bit less and are constant than if they're working a lot and then all of a sudden when they're really valuable, you know, they end up not being able to work because they're tied up in a divorce someplace. Well, Ken, that's a very powerful concept. I'm, I'm just thinking of to have the level of productivity with each of these 
folks that were on the, you know, in the company 40 hours a week required you as a leader to probably be very clear in your communication and the trust that you developed in the teams and who you were, who everybody was being and serving each other. How, how did you effectively bring that in so that the people at NMAC were doing on 40 hours what I would guess people at other companies at 50 or 60 hours were struggling to do? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, there a number of things uh, we, we would do. Number one, I'd, there was every month I wrote an article in our local paper that went out to everybody, magazine if you wish. You know, and there was some point that I would go into relating to how we should operate you know, our company based on these scriptural principles. You know, and, we, and we would, um, prov- and then I spent a lot of time walking around talking to everybody. I mean, I was on first name basis with everybody from the warehouseman right on up to the, to the rest of the organization. And, and I wanted them to be the same with me, to be, be comfortable with me and if they had a problem, I wanted to hear about it. And I thanked them for telling me. Uh, when we created an awards program for our employees, which were based on Christian principles, and to the extent that people, you know, they didn't have to be Christians, but they, you know, these are the principles. These are the values of our company. And that award system provided for what we, we called a star performance award, a chairman's award, uh, you know, a, a president's award, a chairman's award. And the, the, these people with the award, which was done at a major event, so we had parties where we'd announce these winners, they were recognized among their peers as leaders, as people that were meaningful to us and to them. And we would um, encourage this, uh, this kind of be- the behavior that we were looking for. And the awards were significant. I mean, the person who won the chairman's award uh, won a vacation for two. You know, it was worth a lot of money, and it, we did this every year. So people knew sort of what the objectives were and what they were, what we were looking for, and it infor- reinforced the whole idea of being honest, full of integrity, serving others. You know, committed to being helpful to the the person in their office and so forth. You know, committed to the work, hard. You know, committed, hardworking. All these things were part of that um, that value system, which. Yeah, creating a value is something that people actually have to add do consciously. Creating culture in companies has to be a conscious effort. You know, I'd love for you to bring us to a time, you know, Oswald Chambers said, uh, the, spirit, the spiritual manifests itself in a life which knows no division into sacred and secular. And those are the compartments that we're talking about. And as you pull those together, were there ever times where, those were just trying to be pulled apart that was a real challenge for you? Was there any, you know, really hard spots that you could share with people and then how you pulled that back together and moved forward? Well, yeah, there were a a number of times where we went through some really, really difficult times in the company. And I, uh, you know, I was up three, four o'clock in the morning. Uh, You know, God just had me up praying by for hours over this stuff and you know and, until I got the, the peace about it uh, we and it's more personal kind of how am I going to deal with this and what am I going to do 
uh, you know, then, you know, I mean, as the president, they may have or may not have. Sometimes they liked what I did, and sometimes they didn't because, you know, it was, you know, it might get in the way of some person's objective in the organization. Uh, you know, vice presidents wanted more time out of their people, and I wanted better work out of them. And we had differences of opinion. I would uh, end up leaving, you know, typically I was home by 6, 6.30 in the evening, uh, and that meant I was walking out the door, and I learned, you know, and I would have vice presidents who figured out that if they caught me at 5.15 walking out the door, they could get me to accomplish, you know, to commit to a lot of things that they wanted done that I might not necessarily want to do. And it, it, it became an issue. Well, I brought that, you know, I was thinking about this, and someone came to me and said, look, you know, here's what's happening. You need to understand, you got to realize and I thought, oh, my gosh, you're right. This is a game that's being played. And uh, so, uh, you know, when they came to me at 5.15 on the way out, I said, that's a great point. Let's talk about it in the morning. And, you know, it's a minor point, but, it, it, you know, it, you really have to take control and be able to, you know, understand when you're being gamed, when you're being worked, and recognize that you don't, have to fall into these things. I mean, I, you know, as a, for instance, people would tell me, I need an answer right now. And I'd tell them, I'm sorry. If it takes 24 hours, then the answer is no. I mean, I need 24 hours to think about this. I don't want to be railroaded into a decision. If, the, if you need the answer now, then the answer is no. You know, if you need me to really think about this and come to a conclusion, I'll be back in 24 hours. But... Uh, you know, so it gets to be difficult, and yet there and there are things that probably the most difficult things I went through were times when things were not going well, uh, and I didn't know what to do. And I, you know, we had, when I had sold the company, uh, I think about the time that I was just, you know, we'd they'd asked me to hold on to the shares because I was the largest shareholder in the surviving organization. And they said, if you just wait for 90 days, then you can start a selling program. That'd be okay with us. And I said, well, that's fine. I think that's fair. Within that 90 days, the company that we sold to announced that uh, they had misvalued their inventory, and the last three years' earnings were zero. Well, the company stock went from 48 to four in less than you know in minutes. Oh. And uh, you know, there I was. Everything that had been built up you know, over the 20 years that I'd started this company, from scratch was basically gone. And I, you know, I'm thinking, you know, like typically a person says, you know, here's, you know, God, what do I do? I mean, do I start over? You know, do I have the strength to start over? What what do I do? I just was I honestly catatonic. I, I would sit at my desk at the house doing nothing all day. I'm just, I, I just couldn't get ahead of it. Uh, and my wife was really worried about me. So she, she was outside praying, and the Lord said to her, Ken has inquired of me. I know his heart, and I will fill in the voids. Well, she, she didn't talk like that. She said, what? And he said it again to her. Uh, and she came running into the house, ran upstairs. She said, I've just heard from the Lord, and this is what he said. Ken has inquired of me. I know his heart, and I will fill in the voids. Well, nothing had changed, but I knew that God was with me. 
and nothing else seemed to matter anymore. My countenance changed. I was happy again. I was, I was back. I was back because I knew God was with me. And there's, there are times like that that people go through that are just so difficult. And you know, it takes time to get through it, and it takes knowing that God is with you in this to be able to get beyond it. Ken, I, th- I think that's a, that's a huge point because I guarantee you there are people listening to the show right now that either they are seemingly see everything melt away in their life right now. They feel like they're losing their business. They feel like they're losing their family. They feel like they've lost their wife. And, and, and they're in that place that you were. What kind of hope can you give them in, in, in digging in and, and seeking God? Well, to begin with, they have to remember that God loves them very much. And God is there. God's purpose is twofold in life. One is to accomplish the things, the plans that he's provided for us to walk in. But the other, more significant one, which takes place in everybody's life, is that God is chipping away at us to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. And in that purpose, in those times, he has a... He has a method that he can never use in heaven, and that is pain. And sometimes we go through a lot of pain to learn or to prepare us for the next step. You know, and as God would have it, you know, what I realized was that you know, in all of that time of reflection and difficulty, is that it wasn't me that did all this. It was God. And I really, you know, my part was important because I was working and doing what God had called me to do, but he was causing the increase, and he was causing the decrease. And as Job said, you know, know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Bless the the name of the Lord. And there's a reason for it. Job went through this, and the pain he went through, God ultimately restored him, uh, but dealt with the issues that were still in Job's life that needed to be cleaned up. You know, you know it's interesting you say that, Ken. At my accident, which should have I shouldn't have survived, yeah. but that's one of the things that uh, God spoke to me directly uh, in addition to other things. But the last thing he said to me was, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And, uh, you know, as I recovered over the last three years and just really sought God's purpose in my life, you know, that right there has really stuck with me. And what, what it communicated to me is that there's going to be really challenging times and there's going to be great times. But in all of this, getting back from, for me personally to trusting God, uh, and, you know, sometimes in the, you know, in the military we call it mission creep and that's where things drift. And I'd love for you to, you know, maybe reconnect you know, times when your priorities were, you know, pushed by people in the company, by uh, outside investors, by being a public company, how did you stay so locked into uh, what was important to you and and just be true to that as a person? I I think that's an area where I know I've struggled with personally, you know, making small little compromises. Then all of a sudden, if your priorities are true north, you know, you're heading east, you didn't even realize it. Right, absolutely. That happens to everybody, including me. And you know, I can't imagine anybody that hasn't that that hasn't happened to. You know, and there's that moment of you know when people start to feel like they're dry, start to feel like they're 
not engaged uh, in a relationship with the Lord. They don't feel the Spirit of God, the joy of Him. You know, guess who's going the wrong direction? It's not God. You know, so you know it's it's oftentimes hard to see that. But the but God is not a, a vengeful God. He's He's not somebody who says, "Look, I showed you. I tried to get your attention, and you, you know, every time I help you, you get off the track." It's no, no. You're doing great. You get up. It's okay. It's like a child walk, learning to walk. We encourage him. We're we're encouraging him to learn to walk, and God wants us to learn to walk. You know, and he and he's come on, get up. You can do it. You can do it. I can. I will help you. You know, come on. And it's this and it's this loving encouragement that we have to keep in mind about who God is. He's not there vengefully waiting for an opportunity to pounce on us and strike us for something we've done wrong. You know, and it's hard, it's hard to remember that at times. You know, and when we realize there's something wrong, it's then it's time to sit down, you know, get on our knees, you know, begin to pray and ask God to forgive us and help us to get things straightened out. You know, Ken, as we, uh, as we kind of come to a close here, I would love for you to share, you know, some of those times that were you know, challenging decision points for you. Were there any resources or relationships that you had brought into your life that really helped you get through that, to equip yourself, to stay true to your priorities and, and focus on that deep relationship that you were working on with God? How, how would you, what advice would you give to other folks that they're really trying to pull these two together to integrate their faith and their work um, as, as they move forward to do that? Well, there are a couple of things. Number one, uh, you know, we we need to know who we are in Christ. I mean, that's the first thing. Uh, and we, we spend the time saying, you know, what has God given me as gifts? What has God mm-hmm. not given me as gifts? You know, so that I don't have a problem. I, I mean, for example, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, and and God has given me a gift as an entrepreneur. I'm not a I'm not the best manager in the world. I know that. There are those guys that are better at that. It's okay. It's not what God's gift was for me. I don't have a problem with that. It doesn't mean a thing. It means that I'm best at starting things, and when they get to a certain size, it's better for me to give them to somebody else to manage. I'm not a bad manager, but they're better. You know, those are gifts other people have given. It's really important to know that because oftentimes we want to be everything. It's kind of like the accountant who's really good at accounting but wants to be a soloist in the choir and can't carry a tune. You know, just you know, you're set you set yourself up for problems. You know, so understanding what it is that God has given us and accept that. Secondly, having a series of friends or people that you can relate to that are you know in a similar situation to yourself, who love God and who are willing to be partners with you. I mean, you, the kind of work that you do as coaching is a great thing. I mean, that's really helpful to people. The uh, the third and probably the most important among relationships is a spouse. I mean, it's amazing how God gives us our opposite in a spouse, and that person is my is the partner. Roberta, my wife, she's my partner, uh, and she has been uh, a great stalwart for me. You know, and way too many men think that. Well, my wife doesn't know anything about business, so I'm not going to bother her with the business issues. Well, you'd be surprised. 
you'd be surprised how God has put you with the right person who's actually capable of helping in everything you do. He's, a spouse is called a helpmate. There's a reason for that in the Bible because that person can be the one that's the most helpful. I, you know, in my career, the most helpful person in my career has been Roberta, my wife. Yeah, and we, she's, she's been with me, and the best part about it is that we do a lot of things together. We enjoy each other, but, you know, when I have a real question, I, I trust what she has to say. I, when I would hire executives, the last thing I'd do before I hired them was take them to dinner, their spouse, my spouse. The four of us go to dinner together. When it was over, okay, Roberta, what do you think? And we turn people down <clears> on that basis. You know, I, I love that you brought that up. Most people don't think of integrating their, their spouse. And uh, I'll never forget an uh, interview for an executive position I had. It was with uh, the, my future CEO and uh, who I got hired by, his wife and Donna. And I, and I started doing that myself. And Donna has just this intuition about people. And there's people that I did not bring on my team because Donna just, there was just something about them that Donna tuned into and it, you know, following them and getting to know them over time, it was very clear in hindsight that that was a great decision and having done a part of that. So, so I, lo- I love what you said. Really dig into, you know, how God wired you. You know, what are your core values? What are your spiritual gifts? What are your strengths? And, and work in those areas and then surround yourself with like-minded men and women that share your values and, and the impact you have in this world and in your company. And then, you know, make your family, and especially your, your spouse, a big part of, uh, well, how about that? You're, you're integrating her into your life just like everything else, right? You're talking about the full integration right. of everything that you are, and that is a place of, of real, uh, you know, that's when some powerful things can happen. That's when God can really be at work, isn't it? Amen. Amen. I mean, he gave her to you for a purpose. Now, you may think you chose your wife. But, you know, God was deeply involved. I mean, I'm not saying you, John, but, you know, all of us, you know, I, you know and it was hard for me to imagine because of the way my wife and I got married was kind of weird and outside of a relationship with God. But, you know, all of these things are in his timing. And, and she is that person or he is that person in, you know, a leader's life that has a lot to speak into that life. And God has set it up that way. You know, it's not like, oh, I had no idea you were going to go into business. <laughs> Me, God, if I had known that as a God, as God, as your God, I would have given you a different person. It just didn't. It, it just didn't that way. You know. So those are the the primary things that I think, uh, you know, help people stay on track, help people get to the point. I think there are a couple things. You know, if people walk away from this. Uh, this interview that I would love to see them do, is, and there and are two things. Number one, yeah. sit down and write out what are my priorities. And those ought to relate to God. You know, he's first, and what does it mean to you to be have a better relationship with him, your family, your spouse, and your children? What does that mean, and how much time does that take? Way too often people end up talking about quality of time with their children, and that's just a, that's a bunch of baloney. I mean, it takes quantity before you get to quality. I mean, imagine sitting down with a four-year-old and saying, well, what do you think you want to do with the rest of your life? <laughs> it just doesn't work. You know, they need to 
they need time to do things with you. And then finally, there's, so then what's left? I mean, what time do you have left to do other things? And, you know, don't forget the importance of rest. Don't forget the importance of, of you know, self, I mean, of health, you know, taking care of your health. Those are important things. And then, so those are the three, you know, setting up the priorities. And, you know, how much time do you want to put to each one of those? You know, and people's numbers are different because everybody's different, you know, um, and can do things, accomplish certain things at different periods of time. And then, then the last thing is sit down, and, and, and this is the hardest of all, you know, sit down and ask God, what is it that you have in mind for me to do? Because you obviously have a purpose for me. There is purpose. Everyone has a purpose. You know, Jesus said, this is, for the, this is the reason for which I was sent. This is my purpose. He explains that. Paul says, this was my purpose. You know, the, everybody had a purpose, and it was clearly identified. I mean, the whole purpose for Joseph was clearly identified. You know, and he had, I mean, you could see that God was taking him to a, a, a purpose. Well, that's true for everyone. So the question is, what is our, my purpose? And, you know, I would recommend that you do, I mean, you might have one, you might have two, you might have three. I wouldn't go any further than three because you can't remember more than three. You know, and just put a piece of paper on your desk and ask God to tell you what are those things that are his purpose for you. And as you write those down, I mean, here's the mm-hmm. difference. You know, they're not cast in cement. You can always erase it if it isn't right. But you'll never get it right if you don't write it down in the first place. You know, because those are the things that God is calling you to do. And you, you're constantly looking at what you're doing relative to those three, two, one thing that God has said, this is what I have for you to do. And as you, as you understand that, you know, I mean, you, you look at Paul, and he was a, you know, clearly a missionary to the Gentiles. But what did he do? I mean, his job was making tents. You know, he didn't say, I'm here to make the best tent in the world. He said, no, I'm here to, and it's a focus on what God has in mind for you to do. And he will use tactics or businesses, if you wish, to accomplish those objectives. Anyway, so I would, those are the two things I would do coming out of this. And you know, third, if they have time, I'd encourage them to pick up The Integrated Life. It's a, you know, it's a book that's actually bigger than me. Uh, the Lord gave me a lot of revelation in writing it. And, you know, it's not a real long book, but it's, it's been really helpful to a lot of people. If you'd like to learn more about Ken or get copies of his books, The Integrated Life, or his other book, God is at Work, be sure to check out the links on this MP3 or visit us at eternalleadership.com and look for that info in the show notes. That's eternalleadership.com. If you'd like a chance to win The Integrated Life, just share a link to this episode on Twitter and be sure to tag us at Eternal Leaders. That's at Eternal Leaders. And in six weeks, we'll announce the winner. The Integrated Life is an awesome book, and I recently recommended it to an attorney buddy of mine. After reading it, he was compelled to leave the firm that he moved out here to Colorado to work for and start a new firm based on a lot of the biblical principles that Ken laid out in that book. So buy a copy of this book for yourself and share this episode on Twitter to get an extra copy to give away to a friend that you see is spinning their wheels. Next time on Eternal Leadership, former bank executive Andy Mason.
As I went to start that, it was going to take me away from family, away from what I felt like was what our core calling or purpose was in, in developing people. So I'm like, it doesn't make sense. It's not business. It's not church ministry. What else is there? And I was with a buddy and just telling him, I don't know what this is. And he said, well, have you thought about praying about it? So that's when we came home and, and I wrote down in my journal, God is our future in this location. And within one week, he spoke to my wife and I independently about leaving everything and going to a brand new country. Hear how God pulled Andy from a comfortable life in New Zealand to working with business leaders and spotlighting crazy God stories in the marketplace. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. <laughs>